Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everyone. This episode of An Eternity of Basketball is part of the Globally Ballin' Podcast Network, a subsidiary of the Globally Ballin' Media Network. For this show and other shows like it, such as the Globally Ballin' Podcast, as well as projects like it, such as original articles and video work, visit GloballyBallin.com now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe to it, as well as give it a 5-star rating and a review. We appreciate it. Now, to the show. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of An Eternity of Basketball, a phrase, of course, taken from a famous joke and title line. And we will be introducing our guests shortly. But for the meantime, my name is Noel Zarate, along with Sid Ventura and Charlie Kuna, same old guys, bringing <laughs> all of the memories. Not too old, not too old. Yes, not too old. And of course, our guest today, this is the first time we are having a guest from no less than the National Basketball Association, former NBA referee, Jess Thompson, all the way from Korea right now. Yes, sir. A big hand. Hey, Jess, before we begin, maybe you want to greet your friends here in the Philippines. You're always here, so I'm sure your friends are watching. I tell you, uh, uh, Philippines, if, if I ever retire and, and, and just get out of basketball, that's where I'm coming. I'm And Baguio, by the way, I love the weather up. It's like New York City. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Noel, I see you so many times there at basketball games. Philippines is my second home. Oh, great, great. Actually, you were in the Philippines in 2004 for the first time, but we're going to talk about that a little later on. First, let's get to meet the man, Jess Thompson. I mean, I met you in 2006, actually, Jess, and I stood beside you. I'm taller than you, which is uh, which is something that, that, that surprised me. You're about five foot eight, but you ended up becoming one of the referees of the NBA. Tell, take us through that journey when you when you were starting out. Well, this is what, listen, this is it's really... Actually, it's unusual in my case. Uh, I was like 40, 41 when I joined the NBA staff. I had, I had a 22-year uh, U.S. Army career, and uh, and I had my last duty station was in New York City. Uh, there's an Army base there in Brooklyn, New York, that I was the deputy post commander of that base, and I got involved. I, I don't know if any of you guys are, you you have your basketball people, so you you've heard of. Uh, Rockford Park up in of New course. York. Yes, of course. course. Yeah. Well, uh, I got connected with some guys there in, in, in New York, and I, I got to work basketball up in Rucker Park. I remember very clearly Tiny Archibald was one of the guys that were playing. I was like, what? Okay. But anyway, <laughs> I wound up uh, working basketball on the weekends at, uh, at Rucker Park. And uh, it was during that time, there were only, I think, 32 referees in the NBA and only one, two, three, four, four African-Americans, four, four minorities. Mm -hmm. And so the NBA was kind of on the, on the lookout for getting more minority referees because there's so many minority players playing. Mm -hmm. So my working up at the, at the, at the uh, Rutger Park and you know, making friends with some of the players. And as I say, I mentioned Tiny, Tiny Archibald and some of the other guys that I, that I knew up there. When it came time for me to get out of the army, uh, the opportunity opened up and and uh, 
you know, I, I got a chance to, 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 to join the NBA staff. And so I did. I took, my, I took my Army uniform off in July of 1980, and I put on an NBA referee shirt in September that same year. There's, there's some more story, a little, little story behind it. That's basically how, how, how I got introduced to the NBA. Jess, you mentioned you, uh, you officiated at Rucker Park. Uh, were you able to watch uh, uh, the GOAT, Earl, Earl the GOAT Manigal, play there? <laughs> I refereed him. Wow. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something it, it, about Rucker Park, guys. Because I've been in and out of the Philippines so much, uh, you know, like anywhere you go in a barangay in the Philippines, you're going to find a basketball court and people mm -hmm. watching basketball. Well, Rucker Park mm -hmm. is – the barangay of, of, of Manhattan, and that's where people go to watch battles. See, because a lot of times, going to Madison Square Garden, nobody could afford the mm -hmm. afford the pay. It was a big big price to go and watch the right. games. But all those pros came. If you were a pro basketball player anywhere in the United States, you had to come to Rucker Park to prove yourself. Because <laughs> there, they didn't take any prisoners. They didn't take any go Go to those guys. That, you know, Manny, go, I, I can just name so many guys that, that played in Rucker uh, I, I, in the summertime, like say like May or June, when school was going to be out, you see some of the guys that probably were strung out on different kinds of re reasons and not so. They start cleaning themselves up because they knew the pros and the college guys were coming in town. And I, you could pick, you could pick five any guys that lived in Manhattan and they cleaned up. They could play the game of basketball, guys. I saw a goat. Yeah, I saw a goat. There's a guy named Helicopter. There's a guy named Larry Fogel. I, I'm. I refereed in that park from 1977 right on until I went into the NBA. That's when I, was, I saw them all. I saw them all. You name them, I saw. Wow. Was, was being a referee part of your life goal when you were in the military? <laughs> I had no idea about refereeing basketball. It was, it was just a sideline for me. And what happened was, as I said, I, I, was, I, I had a 22-year military career, and that, and that military base was in, in New York City. Uh, and I connected with some friends in New York. And uh, you ever heard of a guy named Willis Reed? Mm -hmm. Of course. Willis Reed was yeah. a very famous New York Knicks yeah. basketball player. He, he wound up becoming the coach of, of New York Knicks. <laughs> yeah. And New York Knicks legend. Uh, he, Willis one season brought the New York Knicks over to my base and they had ran their training camp and I refereed some of their games. And that was the kind of connection to get into the NBA. I was, I had been up to Rucker park, but I refereed some of the games that, uh, that during the Knicks training camp and Rills asked me what I was going to do when I got ready, you know, when I got out of the army and I said, well, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to look to be a corporate helicopter pilot for some, some corporation. He said, well, you know, you're refereeing our games. Why don't you try to get in the NBA? I said, how much money they make? <laughs> What's the starting salary? <laughs> and when he when he told me what the starting salary was, I said my eyes just went bad. I couldn't I couldn't pass the flight physical anymore. <laughs> that was that was that that's just, that was kind of the way that kind of got me introduced in, into the into the refereeing. But I'd refereed a lot of games around New York City and in the area. And and I, hey hey, you know I wasn't a bad referee. <laughs> I you know so that. You had to have some talent. You had to have some talent. You had to, you had to be you had to be good going in. You got better real quick, or you didn't have a job. That that's just it. So you started out the NBA in 1979, but uh, during the time I think the NBA was trying to do the three-man officiating um, uh, rotation. 
But then in 19, uh, right, I think it was at the end of the 1979 season when they said, no, let's go back to the two-man rotation. And you and uh, I think Bernie Pryor was it Dick Shaper. I mean, 10 of you were unceremoniously dismissed from the NBA right from the onset. Tell, tell me about that time. Well, the, the the general managers now. This is this is only hearsay. I don't know for sure because I wasn't in at those meetings. But the GMs, mm -hmm. there was a, you know the money they had increased money and insurance and all that other stuff. And bringing on that third person was was a financial thing. So it it the board of governors didn't approve it. So they did it part. But what happened was now there's the G League and the D League. Well, the G League because the Gatorade pays the money now. But we had a Continental League back there. Yeah. And, and so it was between the Continental League and they had a, and 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 the old Eastern League in the in the, in the Pennsylvania area of, of, of the United States. They had pro basketball leagues then, and we started refereeing part time in those games. And then those guys that were in the in the Eastern League and in the, in the semi pro leagues. That's the people that got the shot, the opportunity to try to get into the NBA. But it was it was a, the money thing was the big thing that. That I, I understood why it, it didn't go in '79, but '78 and '79, but but in '80, I guess you know the powers that be decided, okay, we need to do this, and that that's 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 I don't know the in in and out but 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 the thing I understood was that it was a money thing initially. Uh, Jess, Jess I'm, I'm curious to, to ask you, uh, at the time when you entered the NBA as a referee, what were the qualifications to be an NBA referee? What is the criteria and what did, what did you have to go through, a job interview or some sort of uh, physical exam? What, 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 what uh, did you have to be to become an NBA referee? There, there was a, the, the big thing, okay, I, I can only speak for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I had been observed by... I'm going to throw some names at you that you that you guys will. You ever heard of a guy named Lee Jones? Yes, yes. He came to Lee the Jones, Philippines. Lee Jones and, and, uh, and Jimmy Capers came. Mm -hmm. In fact, they came to the Philippines and refereed Jaworski's games. That's yeah. right. That's right. I remember that. This game. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, Capers son, Jimmy Capers' son is, is one of the top referees in the NBA right now. But anyway, mm -hmm. those guys those guys observed me. At that time, they, did, they didn't have a, a, a training program no no progression if the nba found out that so like like they would come to the rucker park and they'd see a guy well that guy or that woman when they, at that time they, they really weren't looking at a lot of women but guys if that guy looked looked pretty good refereeing pro basketball in the rucker then they would assign people to come and watch him and then they, they started the pro-am league did you ever hear the pro-am league mm -hmm. okay well then if if you if the nba was interested in you they would see that you got in the pro-am pro and they would see, okay, we're going to send somebody to observe you. And that person observing you would make reports and send them to the NBA. And then if you're lucky, you got invited to a training camp. But that, that was the only progression at that time. Just the pro-am and maybe similar pro league and somebody observing you and recommendations. That's it. But you had to have some experience refereeing too. You had, you know, I refereed college basketball, division one basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, a funny story about that later on if you want to hear it. But Mike Krzyzewski, Duke, mm -hmm. I refereed Army basketball. He played at West Point. <laughs> that was a funny story, too, but I, that's a, that's something later on. <laughs> no, go ahead if you want to tell it now. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah. you can tell it, you can tell it right uh, now. He played for Bobby that's Knight, what right? That's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I was I was in the Army. Like I said, I was, I, I was uh, Army officer. 
but I refereed college basketball. And one, one day I got a call and this friend of mine said, Hey, Jess, can you, can you, uh, go with me and referee a, a game in the afternoon? I, I, you know, I was, I was kind of the boss of the base. I said, sure, I can go. So we, we drove up to West Point. Oh, West Point. I was in uniform now. I, I, I'd come from right from the base. He picked me up and we drove up upstate New York and we went to West Point. Well, uh, Frank Layton was coaching Niagara. Frank Layton later, right. later on became Utah's coach. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, mm -hmm. and, and so they, they, they killed West Point. West Point didn't have a very good team. So at the, at the end of the game, uh, I'm trying to think. It was Bobby Knight. I think it was Bobby Knight. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was one of his assistants. Somebody came up in the, re in the dressing room. And they were going up one side of us and down the other. Uh, you guys stink. You guys blah blah blah. Well, I I I'm a, at that time my rank was a captain. I was a captain. Uh, I retired as lieutenant colonel, but I was a captain at that time. And he said, "You guys think you can take advantage of us? You come up here just because we're military people and you da 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 da." And the guy who I was refereeing knew that I was in the army. He didn't say anything. He looked at me and I just okay. So as he was, this guy was going up and down, up and down just tearing us apart. I reached in my locker, I take a shower and I start putting on my uniform. He looked at me, I pulled out my shirt, I put my shirt on, I put my pants on, I tied my tie. And he said, are you in the army? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, I'll be right back. <laughs> I said, okay. So he came back with a, he came back with a lieutenant. <laughs> And by that time, I had on my blouse and everything, and he says, "Sir, uh, uh, we just had a little question about the game." I said, "Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what's your question?" Uh, nothing, sir. Uh, everything's okay. You guys want anything to drink? <laughs> it was funny. I mean, <laughs> you would have you would had to been there to see his face as I started taking my uniform out and putting it on on here. His eyes got bigger and bigger. Like, oh, <laughs> you better be in the army. I said, you better bring somebody back higher rank than a captain. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> funny story. So that, you're, you're now the NBA in 1980. You come back, right? So those guys that I, I mentioned earlier, you all came back to the NBA eventually. So what was the league like? What was the atmosphere like during that time, 1980? You know, it wasn't very popular at the time. You still had... Uh, a lot of transition going on in the NBA. Well, again, here, I'm a rookie. I'm a rookie, okay? And rookies are like anybody that's new on a job. You don't have a whole lot. You keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. <laughs> and so anything that I, I saw or heard or observed, I had to, if I wanted to get a truth about it, I'd have to ask a veteran, and that was getting that veteran's opinion. So I really didn't. I saw things that were going on and things that were happening, uh, but mostly I was keeping my mouth shut and learning how to referee and listen to how to how to, how to how to referee pro basketball. There's a difference between refereeing at that time, refereeing amateur basketball and pro basketball. You had to learn how to referee. For instance, and, and just one little instance, uh, <laughs> Dr. J, playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> True story. My second year in the league, 
You ever heard of, oh, he's dead now, God rest his soul, a guy named Earl Strom, one of the oh, best referees. Yes, yes, Great yeah. referee. Well, for the first yeah. three years, Earl Strom, I was in Earl Strom's back pocket. I refereed all my, almost, and I learned so much about basketball and, and men and guys. But anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Dr. J, if you take a basketball, and, and this gets back to part of what you were asking me about 1980. You take a basketball and have both feet parallel you don't have a pivot foot. But if you take one step with one foot, then you've established a pivot foot. So if you've got both feet parallel together, the ball in your hand, you haven't taken a dribble yet, you don't have a pivot foot. Dr. J, when he'd get on the baseline, he would take, a, take, the, a, take the ball and step into his defender. Well, as soon as he stepped into his defender, he had a pivot foot. And what he would do is take that that pivot foot and raise it up and go around the guy. He'd beat him. He'd take a step and beat him and, and take that little twirl and 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 shoot that shot underneath the basket and, and make the bat. He, he did it all the time. Well, the first time I saw it, I called a travel. Okay. Wrong thing to do. <laughs> he traveled. So I mean, the stands went crazy. So at halftime, Earl had gone into the dressing room and I was walking behind him and he was standing in the dressing room door with his hands in his hip, hands on his hips. He said, how long you been in the league? I said, this is my first year. He said, how long I've been in the league? I said, I don't know. He said, my 18th year. I said, oh, okay. He said, you smuck? That's Doc's move. You don't call that. Said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, now, I say that to say this. There, now, when I was work, work, working college basketball and I saw that move, I called a travel. That was fine. But this is pro basketball. Pro basketball is a business. People came to watch Doc make that move. <laughs> and and now nobody told me that except Earl. But I, I tell you one thing, I never called that travel on Doc again as I was in the league. There are certain things. There are certain things. So how, how, how the, you had to learn what how to referee pro basketball. And you had to learn who was who and what was what. And it's a business, guys. It's a business. And it, it's the same, I mean, period. If people pay money to come and see those guys play. They make big money and there's certain things. Then, I don't know about now, but then there's certain things that if a certain player has a certain move, then that's his move and you better learn it. Jess, I was going to ask this. I was going to ask this much later on, but you already brought it up right now with that Dr. J story. Are there such uh, things as superstar calls really in the league, in the NBA? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to come Evans, from you, no. huh? Evans, no. <laughs> well, this is this this is a thing. Okay. One of the smartest players, even now, and I've ever met. In, in, in basketball, in pro basketball style, was Larry Bird. Larry Bird was the most intelligent player. I've, I, so smart. He, he, he was way ahead of his time. That being said, uh, you know, Larry would say something like this. Hey, Jess, such and such is happening. So and so is happening. They just going, you want to take care of it? If you don't, I can. The superstars weren't a problem. They never were a problem, and if 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 they if they needed to make an adjustment of something we thought they were doing, if we told them, they would make the adjustment. 
But again, we get back, this is business. This is business, guys. I, I can't speak after 1992 about what goes on in the NBA. I got I, I have a lot of friends still. Dick Bavetta, my friend, we, we're in mm-hmm. Bavetta and I are in, in, in touch almost every day. That's my man. Wow. But mm-hmm. what goes on now, I don't know. But back then, you understood. Bavetta, one of the, one of the Joey Crawford, top, top guys. Uh-huh. But they knew, they knew, you know, if Doc made a little hop and a skip and people come out of the stands and high five, you go on down the floor and shut up. And say, hey, that's the way it goes. So you're not going to get me to tell that. Oh, that's what, no way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, during your career, you've been part of so many great games. Um, one of the games that I actually want to bring up was in um, November of 1984 in Chicago Stadium. And uh, there was this big hype about this rookie out of North Carolina in his first game. And it just so happened that you were one of the two officials that did oh, the- you mean, you mean the superstar white guy from North Carolina, right? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Everybody knows where you're going, Noel. <laughs> 23 for the Chicago Bulls makes his first appearance in the NBA. And Jess Thompson, you were one of the officials in that game. Take us back to what it was like being in Chicago Stadium at that time. Well, before I do that, Noel, if you don't mind, can I tell you how I got that game? I got that oh, game as a, as a, it, was, it was a punishment. <laughs> what happened was, uh, when I was in the NBA, because the NBA is a winter sport in the United States, mm-hmm. you have to leave the night of the game because you don't know what the weather's going to be the next day. You have to leave. You, you as soon as the game is finished, you get a shower. You get you get out of the, out of the gym and you go to whatever transportation you've got planned to go to the next city to be there in case. Well, all that being said, I had a brother that lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. I had a game in Indiana on Friday night. And so I decided because Chicago's only four hours from Indianapolis. And I decided, okay, I'm going to stay with my brother and his family overnight. I did. Saturday morning, I got up 10 inches of snow. Plane, no transportation. Everything, oh, no. airplane grounded. Grounded. You couldn't get a, you couldn't get nothing. I said, okay, fine. I got the day off. Ring. Hey, Jess, you got NBA office. Yeah, the referees can't get in, and you're already in Chicago. <laughs> I should have been. And you're already in Chicago, and so you got the game in Chicago. Okay, thanks. Oh my God. <laughs> What happened? I did. I wasn't in Chicago. I, I was supposed to have been in Chicago, but I couldn't tell the NBA office that. Because we called it after every game, right? So their assumption was that I was in Chicago. I wasn't. So I get up Saturday and I said, I got to get I gotta get to Chicago. So, you know, God is good, guys. God's take care of old people and fools. <laughs> I'm in there somewhere. But what happened was I go over to the airport in Indianapolis and there's nothing. I couldn't charter a plane. I, there's nothing flying. So I rent a car. I come out of the rental car place and doing twillies in the snow. And there sits right over there a uh, Indian Indianapolis state policeman. He saw me. Oh God. So I pull over. He comes back and he says, "What is your problem?" Did you, what do you, I said, officer, please, may I, may I just, please, may I just show you something? He said, yeah, okay, fine. So I get out of the car, open the trunk, and my NBA uniform is laying in the back in the trunk. 
I said, I got a car, I got a game in Chicago. I, I got an NBA game in Chicago, and I got to get to Chicago. And he says, well, well, well who's playing? I, well, I said, I think Chicago, Chicago's playing the Knicks, but I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. But they were playing, why not they were playing Washington Bullets? He said, well, okay, let me tell you something. For four tickets, I'll take you to Chicago. I said, for four? <laughs> you got it. So now it's only four hour drive now. Ten inches is well the dead they had started cleaning cleaning the snow off the highway. So for three hours I'm behind that guy all the way from from Indianapolis, Indiana, to the city limits of Chicago. <laughs> I got in Chicago. Now listen to this, this is true this is a true story. Got it. I get in Chicago and I go to Chicago Stadium. I go down in the in the in the referee's room and Michael Jordan's dad is there. And we were sitting there playing cards. And I said, you know what? I, I better call the NBA office. So I called this guy. His name was Matt Winnick. I said, hey, Matt, uh, I'm just calling to make sure. Didn't you say I, I got to Bulls game? He said, yeah, but Jeff's a ref. We were, look we were looking all over you. Where are you? I said, I'm in Chicago. He said, yeah, no, I said, here, take this number and call me back. I hung the phone up. He called me back. Yeah? He said, you really are there. I said, of course I'm there. I lied. <laughs> so well, you were that, there that's already. How I got that game. You just weren't there before that. Yeah, I was there, but I wasn't. I was. I, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. At the time I was supposed to be there. I said, "That's why God, uh -huh. God just blessed me." So when he called me back, he said, "Okay, okay, yeah. Well, you got the game because the referees can't get in." I said, "Oh, all right, no problem." But that's a true story. I, I got that game on a fluke. I wasn't supposed to have it. Uh -huh. But anyway, your question was about. Yeah, yeah Jordan. What was the question about the game? I'm sorry, I was. Yeah. And, and, and Michael, of course, Michael yeah. Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah. First well, ever NBA game. This is the thing. The hype was everybody, not everybody. Back people in basketball knew Mike, Michael was coming out. And he, he was he was he was hyped, and you know everybody was expecting great things out of him. But he wasn't he was not the high scorer in that game. A, a kid named Quentin Daly, mm -hmm. high school kid out of Baltimore, uh -huh. Maryland. <laughs> Quentin was the highest scorer in that game. He got, in fact, in fact, they got rid of him next year because he got Michael. But, but Michael did some things. If you look at the videotape, I, I, there's a video of that whole game, uh, uh, Noel. Uh, he got some rebounds and, and blocked some shots and did some stuff. You knew he was going to be. He, he just, he was going to be great. He, he had it. He had it. And the thing about him, and I said to this day, he had a look in his eye that was, it was a killer instinct. You, you, you think you're going to beat me? You're crazy. You're not going to. No matter what, defense, offense, he, he just, but in that particular game, he, he, he showed flashes of greatness, but he wasn't, the, he wasn't the high scorer in that. Quentin Daly was the kid that, that put it away. But, but when you when you were there, I mean, the atmosphere, you knew that something special was going to happen in that game. But uh, well, what was your take on the whole – now, looking back now, several years later, well, looking back at your role in that game, what did you think? <laughs> well, I, I, I would – now, now I, I got to be careful when I say this because I know people are listening, watching it. They played the Washington Bullets, okay, and the Bullets uh -huh. had had a had a big kid named Jeff Rulin. Mm -hmm. Jeff uh -huh. Jeff was like 
the Bruce brother. <laughs> Jeff took no prisoners. And what happened was back in my day, and, and this, this, this is kind of like, okay, if you kind of understand this, the paint area belonged to the big guys. If you drove in the paint, you drove in the paint at your own risk. And and me and my, my guy named Wally Rooney, we had the game, God, God rest his soul. He just passed away about three years ago, two years ago in Florida, too. And Wally and I talked before the game. We said, hey, you know, Jordan is here, and Rulin, Rulin was a headhunter. <laughs> Rulin would – you don't duck on Jeff Rulin. And that, that's what mostly we were – we were conscious of trying to keep – keep people safe because when Rulin, Rulin wasn't a dirty player by the by the way he's he he just physical very physical but those uh -huh. are the kind of things uh that that we talked about before the game started and then when Michael shot his first jump shot Wally and I looked at each other and said my god he they didn't have a three-point line back then but Michael was Michael was putting them in boom he, he's quite a player how many other uh, of Jordan's uh, memorable games did you uh, uh, did you have the pleasure of uh, officiating? Were you able to uh, to officiate any of his games during the playoffs against the Pistons or Celtics? I got I got into three playoffs. Uh, they, not not when one with the Bulls, but uh, let me tell you a story about Michael. My, Michael. I had a game between the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons. Rick Mahorn. Michael had the ball on the sideline. When the in line, the sidelines, he had the ball and he fakes Joe Dumars. And Joe Dumars goes up and Michael goes around him. He goes up to the dunk at and Rick Mahorn catches him, catches him right in midair, catches him, and throws him under the Chicago Bulls bench. Wow. Off come all of the Chicago Bulls. Off come all the Detroit Pistons. Now, the highlight of that game was Michael, you know, you, you throw on the franchise, and and I think Dave, Dave, well, not, no, what's the name, who, who was coaching then? Doug Collins was coaching, yeah. <laughs> You're throwing the franchise under under the bench, right? <laughs> People went crazy. This was a game where Doug Collins got Rick on his Mahorn, back. Rick Mahorn beat up everybody <laughs> that came near him. Nobody, he beat up everybody. <laughs> everybody except, what's the big guy that, Recently, got thrown out of Madison Square Garden. What's Oakley, name? Charles Oakley. Oakley. Charles Oakley. Those are those are the only two guys. That's the one guy that Mahorn did. Everybody else, if the fight started after that, that after Mahorn grabbed Michael and threw him under the, the bench, and the fight broke out, and Mahorn beat up everybody. I'm getting off the subject now, but because no. we're talking about Michael. But the thing <laughs> is, <laughs> the thing is, every time a fight was started, Mahorn was hey, Rick, Rick, Rick. Ah, nobody wanted to fight Mahorn. Except Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> Oakley wants to fight everybody. <laughs> but that particular, that particular game, I got fined big time for that game because when said when Michael faked him and went around him, I was the lead referee. I was right under the basket when it happened. 
so I called a foul. But I like you. You can imagine, Noel, you brought this up about my height. Now you're talking about Michael Jordan is six five, six six, something like that, and Mahorn's six ten. I couldn't see around them. <laughs> I couldn't see really what was going on, and it, that that was another thing that helped bring the third person in because we just we just we just couldn't see those bodies back under the basket going back and forth like they could. But uh, the big thing about that particular grade, you asked me about Michael. He got up, that wasn't hurt, and he went over and sat down. Sat down on the bench. <laughs> you guys want to fight? Go ahead, fight. <laughs> never got, you guys never got involved. Real young, these superstars, like I said, superstars, when I was refereeing, they, they, they could take care of themselves. If they had to do that, if that's what was necessary, they had to do it. But Mike was going, Mike, Michael Jordan, you know, with him, he fits into the category of a great player. There are, what's the difference between a good player and a great player? A good player can score 50 or 60 points. A great player can score 50 or 60 points, but you can't score 50 or 60 points on him. And so Michael Jordan, and that's just a few guys for me fit into that category. You can stop him, but you you can't stop him, but can he stop you on both ends of the court? Good and great. And Michael was one of the first people, this is me in my mind, that fed into that great, great category player. I He can score 50 on you, but you can't score 50 on him. He ain't gonna let you. He won't let you. And there are just a few players with my experience that, that, that fit into that category. You know, who would be the others? Let me just switch this for a minute just because I'm saying it. When I came to the Philippines, Noel, um, Hinebra had two guys. One of them was Mark Kagia. I can't think Kagiwa. of the other one. Yeah. Who's the other guy? James Yeah. Them two guys? Those two guys? They were the truth. <laughs> they were the truth. <laughs> those two guys... In my opinion, when I first saw them, with the right team, they would have had a, a, a very long and fruitful NBA career. They were they were the two toughest I, I saw together when I wow. saw them with the Never. But I just I I'm digressing now. I'm sorry, but I, I just uh -huh. I, I think about those guys. When I think of good and great players, that my mind goes every time I look at basketball players in terms of you know I think he's a good player. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good. He's a great player. Mm -hmm. And there are just few, just a few great players. Who would be the other great guys in the NBA during the time that you were uh, officiating? It's a guy named Sidney Moncrief, played for oh, the yeah. Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks. Great player. Uh, there are few, good players, good players. You know, people talk about Charles Barkley, good player. Charles was not a great player. To me, are you talking about my mm -hmm. opinion? Good player, yeah. not a great player. Larry Bird, Larry Bird, great player. Great player. You, you tick him off, you got a problem. <laughs> you make him mad, you got a problem. Talk a lot of trash <laughs> and could back uh -huh. it up. And could right. back it up. Right. So when you start, then when you start, and, and, and even before those times, there were, now remember guys, I'm 84 years old. There was a guy, there was two guys, three guys, 
guy named Jerry West, great player. Guy named Elgin Baylor, great player. Guy named Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson. I knew you were going to say great player. You know, so, and they're few and far between. When you start, when you start, uh, when I put my tag on it, can you stop him? But can he stop you? Mm -hmm. And you start, then you start cutting it back. Uh, I'm old school. Yeah, Bill Russell, good player, even great player, but I love Will. <laughs> I'm, I'm prejudiced. I kind of know. I kind of know Will's family. Uh -huh. but, you know, it, but back then, you know, but there are a lot of a lot of uh, the, the kid that uh, didn't make it to the NBA. Uh, he went to Maryland. His name was Lynn Bias. Lynn Bias. Uh -huh. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. Ooh. That, that makes uh, these two guys sitting in the well very sad because they're Celtic yeah, fans. Yeah, right. oh. I, saw, I, I refereed him. That guy was going. That guy was going to be something. That guy. So so you could just go on and on and on. But uh, uh, there's some good players and some great players. Yeah. yeah but, but but while we're on that, Jess, you know, because we talked about Michael Jordan. Of course, he's the he's the talk of the town lately because of that series on on Netflix. But. Um, you were, co we were officiating in an era where some of our favorites, you know, our, our generation, Sid, Noel, I, and, and a lot of the fans who, who watch our, our, our show, uh, sounded great. You mentioned Barkley. You've had guys like Bernard King, Isaiah Thomas, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Dominic Wilkins, all these guys. Could you tell us any particular stories about them? Were they, how would they complain? Were, were they complainers? Were they whiners? Were they nice guys? You know, we just want to know what kind of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I think is the greatest player of all time. What kind of a person was he? What kind of a player was he? I mean, you know, things well, like that. Those are things we, you know, I'm sure people would like to hear. These, this is the thing. Now, you're asking me about my time and mm -hmm. and and my my yes. experience with him. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. First and foremost, the NBA didn't allow any fraternization between players and and referees. Okay. Like if I if I walked into the airport. And there was a the NBA, NBA at that time they didn't have their own team, didn't have their own planes. They flew commercial, and if they were getting on an air, getting on an airplane that I was getting on, I usually got off. I wouldn't. I, I would take another flight. We just couldn't fraternize. We couldn't fraternize. But Larry Bird and I, I'm a, I'm a great reader. I always like like to read, and Larry Larry and I would read a lot, and and we would we would walk through the airport and we'd speak to each other, and as we walked by, you know, like the old cloak and dagger we'd give he give me a book and i give him a book we keep walking <laughs> we wouldn't talk <laughs> but i get back to to try to address rest your question mm -hmm. some of the guys that you mentioned magic johnson kareem abdul jabbar isaiah thomas isaiah thomas the dirtiest dirtiest point guard ever <laughs> but anyway that's just my opinion <laughs> those guys <laughs> those guys they they didn't need an edge they didn't need an edge. If, if, if you played them straight up basketball and you beat them, that's fine. Or they beat you, that's fine. But if somebody was doing something to them, they would tell a referee, hey, you, you're going to take, take care of this. If you don't take care of it, I'll take care of it. And they would. So by and large, like, okay, there were just a few guys. Say, say there was a, a breakaway. The, the superstars never tried to hurt anybody going up. They let him go. Let him score. It was just an unspoken thing, and there was no, there was no, no, no problem. Now, 
Now, collectively, and this is me now, again, I keep emphasizing this is me. <clears throat> Isaiah Thomas and the bad boys were bad boys. <laughs> Isaiah would start, start, start a problem and run behind Bill Lambert, who would get socked in the mouth by somebody <laughs> after, after Isaiah started it. But they, they, the superstars weren't a problem for us as referees. In fact, if we were having a problem with somebody, I, I, I don't know how many times, Danny Ainge, I love Danny, but Danny was a pain in the butt. And I would go, <laughs> I, I would go, I, I, I'd say to him, hey, Larry, Larry, hey, come on, Larry. You guys need him. I'm, I'm getting ready to. He's, I got him, Jess. Don't worry about. It. I got him. I got. Him. And they were, they were helpful like that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, they had a, they had a couple guys. A guy named God rest his soul. Guy named Larry Spriggs. Larry was a top complainer. I said, hey, 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 Cap, Cap. He was a captain. I said, hey, Cap. You need Larry? I got him. I got him. Those, those. That's the way you, I interacted with the superstars. They, they never gave you any, any hard time. They wouldn't give. You, or if they did, like again, I go back to Larry Bird. Larry would come and say to me, hey, Jess, doesn't rule so-and-so and so-and-so and so say, how are you going to argue with somebody who's going to quote you rules that, that you go by? He, he would read a rule book. I said, Larry, you know what? I'll check that out, and I'll tell you what, next time I see you, I'll let you know. And if it was two or three games later, it, it didn't shoot around before the game. Hey, did you check it out? Yeah, I did. And so I said, okay, fine. Those, those superstar guys, they never gave me any problems. They never really gave me any problems. Uh, just conversely, Danny how about, Ainge. How about the coaches, Jess? How about the coaches? Who were the coaches who got on you, who were riding you all the time? I mean, I'm sure there were none, some of them. None, huh? And I'm going to tell you why. For me, and I'm getting back to me now. No, none of the coaches really rode me. I had Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was coaching <laughs> San Antonio Spurs. I remember this. And, and I, he was the first guy that did it. The Spurs were playing terrible. I think they were playing Denver. I'm not really sure who they were playing, but Cotton comes out on the floor and he gets up close to me and he says to me real quick, Jesse, you got to throw me out. You got to throw me out. And he backed up. What did you say? He backed up off me. And he started calling me a whole bunch of bad names. He said, you got, he was trying to motivate his team. <laughs> he said, but he got close enough to me when he came out on the floor and said, Jesse, you got to throw me out. You got to throw me out. And he backed up and he said, SOB to me. And I, I, I threw him and he thought that would motivate his team. I guess, I don't know, but, Coaches, for the most part, uh, for me, they didn't bother me. They didn't. They didn't. A lot. A lot of them. In fact, all of them knew that I had. I had been in the military, and I. I didn't bother them, and they didn't bother me. And I didn't really have a hard time with any coach. Not. Not really. Not really. Uh, and the way to do that. And Earl Strom told me. Earl. 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 Say, hey, listen. Don't, don't get no phantom whistles. No, and that's how he talked. Don't have any phantom whistles if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I think he did. They said, don't blow it. If you don't know it, don't blow it. And obviously that worked with some of the coaches because, or if if, if a guy got hit or, or pushed or something and I was out of position, hey, Jeff, I said, coach, I didn't see it. Well, get in position to see it. Okay. And that was the end of that. But I, I just, I didn't really have, have, problem with coaches none of them yes uh we were talking about that big uh, bulls pistons fight uh, a few minutes ago i just want us wanted to ask you what was uh referee's protocol whenever a fight would break out what's the first thing that you guys had to do 
especially a fight of that magnitude. You're talking to me now, right? In my yes. experience, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, all, yes. it's, all, it's all about you, Jess. It's all about I'm you. Five foot, I'm five foot nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not breaking up any fights, okay? <laughs> and, I, and again, I, I was telling you about a fight that, Mike, that broke out with Michael Jordan. What Earl Strom and I did, or what we do, when a fight breaks out, usually we step back and see who comes off, off the bench, who's on the floor, and we, we at least, we're only working two people until they went to three. But what would happen is uh, we'd say, okay, he came off the bench, he's gone, he, he came off the bench. Because we, we, we didn't have tape then, only the, only the uh, sports, uh, the TV stations had tape that we'd go back and look at at the time. We would have to see who came off the floor, who threw, who threw what puncher, and we had to decide who was gonna go right then and there. Uh, it is not like the technology that we yeah. have now, uh, but that's what we basically would do. Whomever I referee with, I was the only person that was shorter than me when I went in was uh, Ron Garrison, mm -hmm. <laughs> his dad hired him. But, <laughs> <laughs> but so we just we just stepped back, and I never got in, I never got in, but I didn't have to really, really. Uh, <clears throat> it's like. <clears throat> And again, I, I, I credit Earl with this. Earl said, well, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. Watch what happens. You know, if, 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 if a guy goes and dunks on one, uh, a player uh, and he comes back and he talks trash as you walk up, run back up the floor, hey, man, you got to be a little, little. Earl says, watch him. So for two or three plays up and down the floor, you watch to see if, if there was, what happened between that exchange. If, it is, if they drop it and leave it alone. But we, we, watch, we watch for things like that. Like that, you know, guys on the foul line holding their trunks, they're talking trash. What between shots? You you pay attention to that because up and down the floor there might be, or somebody gets pushed. We were very observant of what happened prior to and up to and including what happened with the fights. We uh, and, and and again with fights with players, usually the bad actors that that was that was that's that's who it involved most all the time. The same guys. So you we really you know if whatever team that had had a guy that was a, a bad actor and a, a, a so we talked about that pregame oh so-and-so's playing hey these two guys got matched up oh you know you got a guy who's a, a defensive specialist you got a guy who scores well you know the defensive plus is going to try to stop the score so we talked about that during pregame in the dressing room uh again we didn't have the NBA play, guys have computers now and they sit in the plays and they talk to them before the game we didn't have that then that was just us referees doing that but uh, fights, my experience, one or two. I only had two in my, in my, in my career, and I, I didn't get in to try to break up any of those, but I knew who was going to get thrown out after it was broken up. <laughs> so, goodbye. <laughs> I, just my question to you is, how, can, how, do you, how does the NBA maintain the level of respect between the officials and the coaches and the players and the coaches? Because you've been to Asia, Refereeing in Asia is a completely different ball game as right, opposed right. to what's happening in the U.S. in the NBA Great question. Well, I'm going to retire in the Philippines. Why are you doing this? Chote Reyes. You guys all know Chote Reyes, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I've been in Korea now 20-some years. And FIBA, FIBA basketball in Asia, as I saw it, uh, 
was a little more physical than the NBA basketball, physicality, that is. And it's accepted, it's expected. Uh, what's a big guy that for years played with the Philippine national team? Big Samoan guy. Okay. And I, I'm getting back to answering your question now. I just, <clears throat> Asi Taleba, when he would play and, and, and Choke, Choke was the, the uh, coach, I'd see them in different countries I might be in when they were playing there. And in the, maybe the first quarter or two, Asi would have two or three fouls. <clears throat> and because I would come to the Philippines and I knew PBA basketball, the physicality that was allowed and expected and okayed in some countries are not the same in other countries in, in Asia that I've been. And Choke Reyes made a statement about, I read about it in a newspaper where that our, our guys in the, in the PBA, when they left outside the country and they didn't have PBA officials, they had to learn how to adjust their mm -hmm. physicality. That being said, uh, and, and, and I, I said I'm kind of going around about because I've been, been over here and I've watched Asian basketball. Team-wise, player-wise, I always thought that the Philippine national team was as good as anybody else. The shooting See, the shooting, you had one or two guys could knock it down all the time, but not three or four or five guys. Most guys, you know, obviously was tough around the, around, the, around, the, around the perimeter. He could rebound, put it back up, block shots, but move him away out on the free throw line and shoot it. He, he wasn't that, that tough. That being said, okay, other Asian countries, because they weren't as big and rugged, rugged as the Philippine team, they had to depend on finesse opposed to physicality and this is why uh i when i would watch pba basketball and choke reyes said it, we have to just it's too physical but the but the fiba rules allow it fiba rules allow it so i don't know what the answer is <laughs> i just don't know what the answer is you're not gonna you know, get me in that. I gotta come back to the Philippines and live. You you get me killed. <laughs> All right. So you were a referee until 1992. What made you decide to finally stop being an NBA referee? Well, I got hurt. Okay. I got hurt at a an uh, L.A. Laker Denver game. Magic Johnson. Uh, Magic Johnson. Oh, was it magic? Let me think now. Let me think. Because it, what happened was, oh, yeah, there was a shot. Denver guy shot the basketball. I was the lead referee under the basket. Magic rebounded, kicked it out to Michael Cooper on a fast break, and I turned to catch him, and I ruptured my right Achilles. Just boom. It was just wow. okay. pulled out. I, I ruptured my Achilles, and uh, I rehabbed. But, see, that's the other thing about NBA play, and basketball players, period, but more especially NBA players when I was there. People, they look they look like they're not hustling. Those guys, those guys can run. They're in shape. I mean, they're in shape. And I ruptured my Achilles, uh, and I couldn't get back to NBA condition. 
I could still referee amateur basketball. I could run with them, but I couldn't run with the with, with the NBA. I, I went out on disability, and because I got hurt in a game, and what happened was the Koreans wanted to start a pro basketball league, and I was in the states, uh, and I went. I was I was I got hurt. I got hurt on the job, so I was getting paid. So the Koreans approached the NBA about helping them form a league, and they, they did that, and they came back to Korea and they set it all up, and they said, oh, we don't have anybody to train our referees. The NBA said, we got just a guy for you. They didn't want to pay me anymore. <laughs> we got just a guy for you. <laughs> so we negotiated the contract with the Korean KBL, and that's how I came over here. That's why I came over here to Korea. And then uh, 2000, that was a came over here in 1997 I think and I'm from 97 98 to 2004 I trained in basketball referees and I, and I got fired <laughs> and so I came to the Philippines in 2005 and so I, Perry, Perry Martinez you know him don't you Noel, Noel? Yeah. I, I, he's, he's a very good friend of mine he's my fraternity brother yeah well I worked for Perry uh, and the PBA for uh, uh, just a short while but I like the Philippines so I stayed there until uh, 2007 or eight, and then my friend became the supervisor for the KB for the KBL and asked me if I'd come back. So I said, "Yeah, I'll come back." So that's how I came back here, and so I've been here ever since. Yeah. Well, I got well, just yeah, just you mentioned uh, that uh, you have to be healthy. There's a certain health level that you have to be at to be an NBA referee. Just for the guys who are listening right now. How rigorous is your daily routine and regimen as far as exercising and trying to stay healthy and eating right and all of that? Because they probably think that, that only the players do that, but the referees have to be in the well, no, no. as well. <laughs> we, uh, we had, of course, we had to pass a physical. Uh, every year we had to pass a physical. We, uh, we had to run uh, two and a half miles every year. That, that, was, that was part of the test. But the other thing is, see, <laughs> Anybody who's listening that wants to be a referee and you want to get at the pro level, you have to remember, if a player gets tired or for whatever reason, all he's got to do is raise his hand and a coach will take him out. Nobody does that with referees. I, in <laughs> fact, but wait a minute. I did see this. I saw, I saw a PBA game mm -hmm. where the referees were substituted. If at, I, I think Bong Pasquale was pull a referee out and one quarter right. another. I, I never saw that before. But anyway, get back to your answer your question. <laughs> answer your question. Uh, we had to during the off season we had to stay in shape, run, uh, watch your diet. Uh, for for instance, I had the the season would end June or July, depending on the play. June, depending on the place. So July and August was our time, to, our time to veg out if we wanted to do that. Because in September, we had to run at least three miles a day, uh, watch our diet. Uh, I, I, don't eat, I don't eat fried foods. I don't eat meat. I don't eat pork. I don't eat beef. I never have. But, but especially when I started refereeing pro basketball, I don't eat uh, fried foods. I don't eat uh, bread, uh, oh. little dairy. only eat fish, chicken. And sometimes turkey, no fried. I said fried foods. Uh, I, I, we just had to watch our diet because the thing is, those as I, as I said before, and I, I didn't maybe I didn't emphasize it enough. You're running up and down the floor with those 
guys making six or seven, six or seven million dollars, sixty or seventy million dollars a year. You better be in shape. You have to be in shape. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And then if we didn't pass our physical, and we had a we had a summer camp, or, or be, it, we call it a summer camp, but beginning of the season camp, uh, we come in, we got weighed, we got uh, doctors did physical exam, took blood, and we we had to take a, a test and everything. We didn't pass it. We didn't have a job. Just that simple. Wow, that's strict. Got to be in shape. You got to be in shape, guys. You just just have to be. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the one requirement that the NBA didn't back up off of. That, that you, and and they, they, you have health insurance. You get if you had a a, 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 a broken toenail, you could go to the doctor and get it fixed. And the NBA would pay for it. So, <laughs> they, really, I'm serious. You know, the insurance program, my, my family, and it's good. It was great. So. You had to be in shape, and, th and that's what they told you. At that time, remember, guys, there was only two referees. They didn't go to three mm -hmm. referees. And uh, I think, well, when did they go to three referees, Noel? You know that I, I, I was involved with it. I was involved with it. I was involved, but I forgot what date. But, you know, I'm talking about we did two two referees up and down the floor with those guys. You have to be in shape. You got to mm -hmm. watch your diet. Yeah. You have to go to sleep. And every day, if I had a game, I had to be in bed in a hotel, I had to lie down and have to go to sleep, but I had to lie down from three o'clock, two or three o'clock in the afternoon till it's time to go to the arena. You have to veg it. You, you can't be up and around about, and as I said, in the evening, after the game is over, you got to pack and get out of it and go to the next city. So, I mean, <laughs> you got to be in shape. You have to be in shape. Drinking and smoking and all that stuff, if you're going to be a pro basketball referee, forget it. You, you, you're not going to be around long. Yeah, Jess, I have, a, I have another question for you. Uh, uh, in your experience in the NBA, what, what were the toughest arenas to officiate in? And have you ever gotten anything thrown at you? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> well, not in the arena. Not in the arena. Uh, Indiana was, was kind of tough, tough place for me to referee, but... Before they had the G League and the summer leagues, there was the there was a pro ba pro basketball league in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. and all the NBA referees would go down there in the summertime and referee. That's that's one of the ways we stayed in shape. Well, in Puerto Rico, I don't know. You know, there was a very famous baseball player called Roberto Clemente. Clemente. Have you ever yes. heard of him? Of course. Uh -huh. yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, Clemente. Guys over here. <laughs> Clemente. He had he sponsored a team in a place called Bayamon. Well, guys, let me tell you. Bayamon didn't lose any home games, <laughs> and if they did, they put chicken wire. Now, now, this never happened in the NBA. No, to answer your question, I never had any tough time in the NBA. But in the Philippines, they put chicken wire around the arena because the people would throw eggs. And, and then if the team lost, they would back a van up to the door and the referees would get in. And that's how we got out of there. By a moment, it was – but Indiana was a little difficult uh, to, for me, for me to referee in. But other, other arenas, no, I love – Utah, I love. I love going in Utah, and I love going to, uh, in, in, into LA. Uh, I, I just didn't have any bad times in any of the arenas. 
not even in the not even the Boston Garden where you know the the fans were notorious for. Let me tell you, somehow or other, I was Larry Bird's boy. Nobody <laughs> messed with me. I'm, I'm serious. I told you, Larry and I used to exchange books, right? God, I remember. I remember one time, uh, Kevin McHale didn't like something I had called on him, and he started coming after me. I looked out of the corner of my eye. He was coming after me. And Larry just intercepted. I never. He thinks I didn't see this to this day. Larry intercepted. No, 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 no. He pushed Kevin off, and they started. I don't know what what. What was going to be Larry? I was Larry's man. <laughs> I didn't have any trouble in the Boston Garden. None, absolutely you know, none. You know, Jess, you you mentioned that, that Kevin McHale was was going after you. I read something just last night, um, you know, because I was preparing for our interview today. Um, that Kevin McHale was upset because uh, I think Larry Bird had hit a game tying shot, and you called an offensive foul on Kevin McHale. It's in a book called The Last Banner. It's a Celtics book about the '86 team, the champion team. And so, you know, and, and Kevin McHale was, was, was really rushing through. And that's, that's probably the, the, the incident that you just <laughs> probably, described. It probably <laughs> was. It probably was. I, I, it probably was because, I, really, Larry, Larry, uh, and, and, you know, I think, I think it was this. I'm from Ohio, but I have a lot of family in, 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 in Indiana. And I, I, I think Larry thought I was from Indiana. I think so. I, I'm not sure. I just, but somehow or other, he, he liked me, and I, I, and I, to this day, I thank God for it because I had no trouble in Boston Garden. Uh, the, Don Nelson he used to coach the, the Celtics, right? No, <laughs> he, he, he would call me a, the little S word, you little, <laughs> and, and Larry would say, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what. He, you little, what kind of stuff is that? You little, Larry, Larry, Larry protected me, and I don't know why. I didn't, I, I didn't pay him any money, but I had no trouble in the Boston Garden, absolutely none. And in the, in, the, in the Madison Square Garden, no trouble, no trouble. All right. Hey, come on, guys. I, I, I wasn't that bad of a referee either. <laughs> but you know how fans can get, right? I mean, even though you made the right call, if it's against their team, they're gonna go berserk sometimes and throw things at Absolutely. the referees. Absolutely. Well, you know, that that's all part of the scenario too. You know, fans fans pay to come to watch the game. And the big thing is if they don't start coming towards you, they can say all they want or do what they want. And, and it, I, I actually you don't hear it. You don't pay any attention. You can't hear. You can't have rabbit ears. That's the other thing about, hey, if any of you guys listen and want to be referees, you want to have rabbit ears, there's no job for you. You don't want it. You, you can't referee and have yeah, rabbit ears. Yeah. Yeah, great advice. And again, I go back to Earl Strom. Earl, Earl, Earl was a, my teacher. Earl was my teacher, and that's the other part of. I had a good teacher, and Earl had the respect of, of all the. Uh, Red Auerbach, he said, "Who you want on your games, Red? Who you want to work your game?" Earl Strom was number one. I said, "Well, is Earl cheating?" No, Earl threw Earl threw Red Auerbach out of so many games, but they had mutual respect. <laughs> And Earl, as I said, for the first three years I was in, in the league, I worked nobody but him. And he he said, he told me so many things. I can't even remember some of the things to tell you that he taught me about interacting with players and coaches. I I, I was so lucky. Jess, was there a specific game that stands out in your uh, NBA career that you that you were part of and you will never forget? 
Wow. It had to be where that little girl sang that song. That, that, I was about to ask about that. Okay, great, great. It had to be. And I got, okay. by the okay. way, guys, I got, I got fined for that. Okay. I got fined for appearing on the on on television without permission from the NBA. <laughs> oh really? Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. You you couldn't you couldn't be on you couldn't appear on. I got my money back, but I got fined for it because that was a rule. You can't you can't if 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 there was a question, they had a a, a pool referee to talk to the to the media, and I went out okay. when I went out and. and and talked, you know, did that thing. I, 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 the rules said I had to be fine because I appeared, but that, that was wow. it. That would have to be the game. That had to be well, the game. But just for, just for everyone who's watching, uh, uh, to know what, what we're talking about, it's an incident where a little girl was trying to sing the national anthem, right? And she couldn't uh, continue. She forgot the lyrics, right? Forgot to sing. And, yeah, and, and just, just Thompson to the rescue, right? Just like Maurice Chicks did a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I was first by, by the way. Maurice yeah, yeah. Popped. You're, you're the original. You're the original. <laughs> So what, what happened over there? What, what happened there? She, she just lost the lyrics? Yeah, but let me tell you about that. I was refereeing the game with Lee Jones. By the way, Lee Jones, and as I told you, Lee Jones and Jimmy Capers refereed there in the Philippines. But uh, Lee, the little girl, she, she, she was on the, on the floor, and Lee and I were standing there by the table. And uh, as she walked off the floor, I said, Lee, I'm going to help her. He said, you better not. You don't, don't do that. I said, but we're not going to get the game started, Lee, because, you know, everything was just, if you look at that video, you'll see all the guys are standing around. And, and so when she walked off the floor, and as I said, she looked, she looked at her mother, and she looked around, and she looked right at me, and I said, you, you want me to help you? I'll go back out there. And, and, and that's what we did. But the moral of that story is, <laughs> for the rest of the season, Every time I saw the Lakers, one of them or some of them would say, "You can't referee. You got another career singing, but you can't referee." I, they were jokingly. They, I, I never lived that down for the rest of the season. But they, they you know, <laughs> you may as well go. You get a singing career because you sure can't referee. But they, it was. No, it I'm was sure a, that little girl remembers you to this day, and then she's so thankful she's, that you were there. For she's her. forty. She's forty-three now. She has three kids. Wow. That, you know, that little girl, Cecil B. DeMille, was a very famous Hollywood movie yeah, right, producer. Yeah. yeah, that's his granddaughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was his granddaughter. She she sang she, and she she had sang the uh, the national anthem so many times at at Laker game, but she just got a, a brain block. She just got mm -hmm. a brain lock, and she just couldn't remember it. It happens. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. But that that would be that would be my most memorable because I I got I got fined I got, I got I got in trouble with the NBA office but I got out. <laughs> no, but that was that's commendable what you did. I mean, you know, you risked the fine to help the little girl. I'm sure. Well, you know? <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get fined, but I did. <laughs> how about how about an All Star game, Jess? I, I'm sure you did a few All Star games, of course. One, well, one. one. Which one? Only one. Year? one. Which one? It's still me, uh, <laughs> same year, same year, '84. Oh, '84. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, yeah. The, Isaiah uh, Thomas is MVP. Same year, but see, this is the thing. Back then, unless you after, after you, you had to get at least five, five, six years in the league before you start getting into playoffs or getting even considered for it. You just didn't, didn't happen. Didn't happen. 
the guys with the, with the with the most years, they they got to work the playoffs. They got to work. How different like, speaking of the playoffs? A like, lot, lot, lot of big, lot of extra money in that, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> guys. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of extra money. Yeah. So speaking about the playoffs, just how different is officiating in the playoffs compared yeah, is there to such a thing like a playoff regular foul? season? Playoff yeah. Foul? Yeah. yeah, people keep talking about you know a playoff foul, a playoff uh, atmosphere, playoff pace. Is there really a difference? Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put something back to you before I comment on that. How different is it for you if? one of your loved ones was sick in the hospital opposed to somebody that wasn't your loved one. And I I say that to say this, the playoffs were the culmination of of a hard fought season. And those teams that made the playoffs, it was serious business. They They didn't make the playoffs to lose. They didn't come there to lose, and you understood. That's why the the veteran referees got to work with the veteran players. It was it was a news. It was a second season, and it was serious business. The serious business. Uh, you, you you never saw any anybody giggling and smiling and laughing and joking. You might see in a in a regular season game before the game or during the shoot around. Playoffs were serious because it involved a lot of things. Uh, and it was, it was a serious time. And guys who got selected to referee playoffs, it was, it was an honor. And the players would come up during the shoot around if you were a playoff referee and said, hey, good to see you. Glad you made it. Good to see you. You know, just a little something. Because they understood that we all understood that the playoffs was a big deal. And with that in mind, uh, we, we, we acted accordingly. It, it was like the playoffs were like one of our loved ones were in the hospital. It wasn't just somebody we knew. It was a big deal. Any memorable playoff games for you? No, and I don't mean that facetiously. I didn't. I didn't get to work, but only one season playoffs. And what what season was that? If I may ask. Eighty four. Eighty four. Eighty four also. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, just we're we're, uh, we're almost out of time here, so I want to just have. Your final thoughts. There are some people watching this right now probably get inspired by you and want to become a referee also like yourself. Uh, what is your final message to everybody who's watching us right now here on an eternity of basketball? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I've been here in Asia a long time and I've seen a lot of people, guys who, 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 who want to be and try to be referees. <clears throat> If you want to be liked, if you're a person that wants to be liked and and you want people to like you, this is not a profession for you. Um, and if you make up your mind 
that if you want to do this, especially at the amateur level, I used to referee for $5 a game. You know, you're not, you're not refereeing, learning to referee. If your goal is to move up to the highest level that you can, be humble and say, you know, if I'm, hey man, I, I, I'm not going to referee for $10. I'm not going to referee for $10. Why are you doing it? Why are you, why, what, what, for what reason? Are you doing it for the money? Are you doing it for the wrong reasons? In my opinion. Are you asking me my, my opinion? Mm -hmm. And the big thing and the last thing is pay attention to the veterans. Pay attention to the veterans. One of my dearest, dearest friends in the Philippines is a guy named Mario Montel. Any of you guys know Mario? I think he's a former PBA referee. Yeah, he sure yeah, was. Yeah, former, sure was. Right. A great teacher. A great teacher. Pay attention to guys like Mario and uh, uh, Boy Cruz. I think is 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 he still around? Yeah, yes, he is. If you're if you consider becoming a referee, find someone that has done it. Big Joey, uh, Art Art Art. Uh, what's Art's last name? Herrera. 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 Those guys seek those guys out and pick their brains and listen to what they have to tell you because they have a good message for you. They've done this. They know what they've handled people. Uh, and and lastly. Have fun. Do it for do it do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I just have fun. And meeting guys like you guys, Noel and <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm serious. I you know what? No, I recall Noel and I back in, in Antipolo. How many years ago was that, Noel? We had a call in show and Yeah, two thousand six. I was producing that show. And I, I heard some stuff that, that you told people that I listened. Oh, I didn't know that because you learn stuff. If, if you keep your, that, that's the other thing, guys. Refere, referees, I tell this all the time. If a player or a coach starts to want to talk to you, listen. Don't interrupt them. Don't try to just listen to what they have to say. Listening gets you a whole lot more information than talking. I, I, I could go on and on about it. Come to my clinic. I'll show, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> We could go on talking about the basketball and NBA, NBA forever, but unfortunately we don't have uh, we don't have an eternity of time on this show. It's called the eternity of basketball. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think no, I think uh, I, I every time I come to the uh, uh, Philippines, I, I I go to a PBA game. I'm at a PBA game down in Mall of Asia, I think, and I look up in the corner and there's Noel. <laughs> the <guy. laughs> Man, I Noel shouting, you. shouting again. No, I, I was actually doing the radio commentary in that game when I saw what I what I saw in there. But what year know, was I, this? Uh, just last year. Last year, okay. Yeah. Well, do, do do let us know, Jess, when you're coming into yeah. town. You know, hopefully when when you're allowed to travel again and, and the sports are back. You know, hopefully. Dominic, Dominic, Noel, and and Norman Black, and and, and Coach Coach Eric. You know Eric Altamirano, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Those are my, my four contact people. When I hit when I hit the Philippines, I call Hey guys, how you doing? So yeah, okay. All right, we will see you soon here, Jesse. Stay safe over there in Korea. And uh, nighttime has fallen in my yeah. place right now. So uh, it's, it's, yeah. Thanks to everyone. <laughs> thanks to everyone watching us on on Facebook Live right now. Thanks for joining us as usual. Some of the regular guys are.
our own uh, listening to us right now. One of them is your friend, Jess. It's a friend of mine. His name's Joe Fish. You know, <laughs> Joe Fish is listening he's, right now. He's in Singapore. He's in Singapore now. Yeah, he is. But he used to be with you in Korea. That's yeah, his little it. boy. Hey, his little boy. That's my. That's that's my boy. I, I, his wife and him just had him. That's my son. Uh-huh. <laughs> got a boy. Got yeah. a boy, little guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Jess. Yeah. All right. Noel, I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys when we get able to fly on an airplane. All right. Right, right. You stay over right. there. over in Korea, guys. That was Jess Thompson. Of course, we're Sid Ventura and Charlie Kula. This is Noel Zarate. Nighttime is falling here in my place, and this has been an eternity of basketball. We'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Bye, bye. That concludes this episode of An Eternity of Basketball. As a reminder for this show and others like it and projects like it, go to globallyballin.com as well as follow Globally Ballin on all social media, including facebook.com slash globallyballin, Twitter at globallyballin, and Instagram. You can also follow this show directly at An Eternity of Basketball on Instagram or facebook.com slash an eternity of basketball. Thank you and make sure to catch next week's episode.